Hello and welcome to Businesses Doing Good, a podcast by Good Cities. Today, on August 17th, we interviewed Scott Myers of Good Place Holdings. Here's the interview. June 14th through 16th this year, I was with Scott Myers, who invited me to come to the Weatherhead School of Management at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. We were there for a conference called Business as an Agent of World Benefit. We heard stories from a variety of corporate leaders who said that they were making the move from simply being sustainable or reducing their ecological footprint uh, to, uh, to doing good in their communities. And they told us story after story, and it became fairly clear that uh, businesses were doing some significant work in improving the lives of people in their cities, not just through employment, but through the services and products that they offered. Also in uh, June, later in June, I had the opportunity to travel with Scott to uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And we talked about the services that Good Cities has to offer. Our city convened conferences, our coaching. We also talked with them about the City Impact Accelerator, which is a leadership community of 60 folks who will go through an 18-month experience with uh, four two-day meetings in there during that time. What I was so impressed with was when Scott Myers, who serves as the chairman of Good Cities Board of Directors, had an opportunity to share about Good Place Holdings business leaders' ears just perked up about ways that Good Place Holdings is planning to benefit their own city of Akron, Ohio. And so today, I'm pleased to have as our first guest on uh, this first call of Businesses Doing Good, the uh, the chairman and uh, CEO of Good Place Holdings and also the chairman of Good Cities, Scott Myers, who uh, leads SD Myers and Good Place Holdings in uh, Talmadge, Ohio. Scott, welcome to the call. Thanks, Glenn. Uh, good to be here and good to have uh, so many friends I already know who've uh, checked in and, and some uh, new friends I haven't met yet. Well, it's great to have you today. Scott, could you share with us a little bit about uh, how and why uh, the uh, transition was made from uh, SD Myers to Good Place Holdings? Give us a little background. I don't have to. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Clint. Um, well, uh, SD Myers was uh, started by my father in 1965. Uh, he was an electrical engineer, worked uh, at the time for a company that rewound and repaired uh, electric motors and small transformers and had a vision for business to extend the life of transformers. Exciting stuff, we know, but we've been excited about that for a long time. Um, uh, the company he worked for wasn't interested in uh, taking that on as a service line. He ended up losing his employment there, couldn't get a job to save his life. And uh, so when uh, he had uh, when he had three kids uh, and my mom was pregnant with uh, my youngest brother, uh, he took a second mortgage out on the on the on the home and started the business and had our pastor and his wife come over and dedicate the company uh, to the Lord, said that he would never be ashamed of the gospel, that he would always um, you know, give a portion of the profits to support um, uh, you know, the work of the gospel in, in the country and around the world. And, um, and they would never, and that we would operate by, you know, biblical principles. So that was the, 
foundation of the company in 1965, and my brothers and I have have worked to to live that out. Um, one of the things that I've noticed over the years, though, is that when when uh, when somebody's operating a, a a business by by biblical principles, and they sell it, people celebrate that and say, "Oh, this is great! You sold your business, and now you can you know, give money to charities." And I, I always felt that. Uh, an intact operating business that um, operated by the principles of, you know, love and serve God and love and serve your neighbors, that that intact business was worth more than the dollars that you could give away uh, if you would uh, sell out and cash out. And there'd been different times over the years when we had, you know, done different kind of, uh, you know, small business acquisitions and when we had, divested ourselves of business units uh, for, for what we do. And whenever we would divest part of what part of our operation, you know, to another business, we've done that with the safety clean and with general electric uh, over the years. Um, we had some businesses outside the country that we sold to utilities and um, immediately all of the, um, say the Christian character, the biblically based part of it is just erased. And um, I, I just never felt that the money that we received from selling that was um, had as big an impact in the world as the work that we had done when we operated those business units. So Good Place Holdings is um, our succession plan for the current family members to uh, you know, divest ourselves of our ownership into Good Place Holdings, which um, is kind of a, a creative legal st- uh, form. It's a it's a C corporation that has no owners. Um, and so after we get our ownership into a Good Place Holdings, which 40% has already been transferred into that, then there won't be succession issues where you have to worry about will the next generation carry the business on with, uh, you know, by the same principles that it's, that it's been running by. Um, so that's uh, kind of an overview, Glenn, if there's any follow-up questions you want to have to that. A C-Corporation is kind of a for-profit version of a non-profit, isn't it? Well, the, the way I even had the idea for C-Corporation with no owners is a couple times I had helped non-profits in town get their 501c3 and i noticed that the first step that you get to apply to the irs because that's who gives you that tax exempt status is the irs is you have to incorporate in your state as a c corporation but you can't have any owners uh so typically the only c corporations with no owners are people intending to become 501c3 not for profits Mm. but uh so that's the kind of the history on that structure so so uh when you talk about being a C corporation with no owners it's very similar to a nonprofit but you are still working uh in the for-profit world and uh providing uh, the the kind of services uh and products for folks that uh that a for-profit company would provide you're not looking for um you're you're not looking for charitable donations correct <laughs> so a uh, great question and uh, something that I could have mentioned earlier, and I'll I'll throw in here, 
you know, my dad had his principles when he founded the business in 65 that I mentioned. Um, so after my brother, when I sort of took the helm, the organization, we had sort of our top level, uh, three, three lines of our, of our purpose statement. We called our charter. And the, the first component of that is to be an economically regenerative organization, which means that the work that we do supports us in our other two parts of our charter or mission, which is uh, to give people the opportunity and encouragement to live out their full potential to the extent that we can through the employment that we offer and to build up good places in our community. So I, I feel that we have a lot of the same missions that a lot of not-for-profits have, but we want to fulfill our mission by doing work that, like you say, like a for-profit business does to support us in helping people grow and develop and then building up good places in our community. So it's it's work that people value enough that they pay the full freight for. They pull they pay pay the price for it, and uh, that uh, that the market uh, is willing to bear. Is that right? Exactly. Okay, I think that's that's very important. I mean, it's important distinction. So one of the things, Scott, that I think uh, everyone was so impressed with when we were uh, talking to folks in Winston Salem was the notion that uh, a business through uh, meeting needs and, and addressing society, critical society issue, societal issues, instead of having someone perhaps volunteer for one hour a week, there, there would be people employed full-time who would be providing the uh, goods and services that would address those critical issues in cities and communities. In light of that, Scott, you know, one of the things we've talked about at Good Cities is uh, how transformational, uh, pro, you know, really uh, effective businesses and jobs can be for the peace and prosperity of a city or community. Talk to us a little bit about how you see Good Place Holdings becoming an incubator for startups and entrepreneurs. I, I, I grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance uh, Church, and, you know, from that just had a lot of involvement with you know, overseas missions and, uh, and, and visited, you know, missionaries in countries, you know, around the world. And I looked at what they were doing and I looked at what we do from our business. And I came to the conclusion that we have as much impact in our community as a business as they did <laughs> as missionaries someplace else. So that, and, and from working with nonprofits, you know, in Akron and, and, you know, through my association with, good cities being involved in visiting other cities. Um, again, in, in our community, I feel like we have as much impact as, you know, a lot of not, not-for-profit, you know, ministries or agencies in town. Um, so the, how we work with um, entrepreneurs and be incubators for, for startups is um, a lot more aspirational at this point, uh, later on, Glenn, I think we're going to talk about working with organizations that already exist. Um, we feel that we can be an incubator because part of our charter, there's the, there's the three components to our charter. Uh, one is, you know, to support ourselves through the work we do, being economically regenerative. 
Um, and the, the second line in there is to give people the opportunity and encouragement to live up to their full potential, which for me really stems from uh, my understanding from Scripture that work is a means of grace, which is meant to, you know, means of grace is a tool that God uses in our lives to make us who we should be. Uh, and so as employers, I feel that, you know, our accountability is to um, craft, if you will, or, you know, form uh, employment opportunities for people that, you know, give them opportunity uh, and encouragement, uh, not just here's something you can do, but that it it's the culture of the organization that people in leadership are uh, encouraging, even egging people on to, to take the next step, you know, when they see potential in them. And so developing just a really intensive training program. Now, this sounds fairly prosaic and, and, and not really exciting. Uh, it's something I'm very excited about. And uh, Chris Young, who works with us, is uh, is on the call. It's something, you know, he and I share that level of excitement to provide training to give people the opportunity to grow. And, you know, we can say, well, every business provides training for people or else they, or else they won't be you know, very functional. What I'm excited about is, yeah, we, we want to give people training that makes the business functional, but our real aim is to provide training and our, our department is called training, education, and development. So it, it goes beyond uh, skill-specific training f for role-specific functioning, but given people um, the opportunity to develop who they are as individuals, we have um, a lot of instances where uh, a couple of them that are my favorites, where we had, uh, you know, young ladies who were in um, high school co-op programs in their high schools. And, you know, for their last year in the co-op program, they would go and do some work in, in somebody's office and, uh, you know, typing, filing, just, you know, clerical stuff. So a couple of these young ladies ended up hiring into our business after high school. And because we have this mindset to provide these opportunities, um, so these are people without a college background. And again, our, our business is an industrial um you know, setting. And so typically it's kind of engineer dominated, male dominated. And um, so both of these young ladies from a high school co-op program, I just kept taking the next opportunity, the next opportunity would take advantage of the training that we'd have available. And um, the one became the scheduling supervisor of our field service group. And that was a group that, uh, through one of the divestitures, got sold to General Electric. And so now she's a, a field operations manager for General Electric. And if you would go through General Electric's um, field operation manager position <laughs> in their organization, you know, 80 plus percent are going to be males. And um, a high percent of them are going to have engineering degrees. And here we have uh, you know, not a young lady now, but a, uh, you know, mature woman who is that field uh, service manager uh, who was a high school co-op student doing typing and filing because it was, our, 
we were just thrilled to provide her the opportunity just to keep growing. And that, that was a level that she was entirely capable of uh, growing to. One of the things that our president at this time, Dale Bissonette, uh, about a couple of years ago, saw a group that we had in the business that customers kept saying, we would like them to do work differently than the company was offering. So he spun them out to be their own standalone group. Uh, so those are ways that we support entrepreneurship. They're part of Good Place Holdings, too. So, so Scott, one of the things that I'm I'm hearing from you is that if, if we were in a if we were in a church realm, we would we would hear about uh, evangelism and discipleship. In your case, <laughs> when you bring someone on board, uh, in essence, through your training, education, and development department, you're really doing uh, discipleship. I mean, you're you're helping a young person become a mature worker, and perhaps an entrepreneur. Or someone who can lead a whole department at a much in a, at, a, at another company, and uh, and so you're really in the people development and uh, I would even say discipleship uh, business here. Uh, I'm thrilled to hear you say that because that's that's our intention. So it's nice to hear somebody observe that you know what you're you're actually doing. And so becoming an incubator for startups and entrepreneurs, I think our strongest role is we're trying to build an organization that has a culture that supports and encourages and, and makes that happen internally uh, at, a, at a very high level as well as externally. But if you, you know, if you don't provide that for the people who work for you, if you only provide that for people outside your organization, I feel that would be just a, a tremendous oversight. Scott, in a few minutes, we're going to open up the call to all kinds of questions from everybody else on the line here today. I just want to, I, I do want to ask you another question about, uh, you know, a, a term that I've heard you use in a couple of situations. Talk to us about the importance of, uh, of continuing the work of what you've told me are bin-ups, not just startups, but bin-ups. Yeah, and that's a term I got uh, from my wife, Gina, who, who heard it used at a conference she went to in Detroit, where they said, um, you know, when people are talking about community development, everyone wants to do entrepreneurship training and help people start new businesses. Well, anybody who has been an entrepreneur or who supports entrepreneurs know that startups have a very high infant mortality rate. And so it, it has always seemed to me um, maybe inappropriate is, <laughs> is the word to use, how much funding goes into this high-risk situation of finding somebody who's never been in a business before, never run a business, never started up a business, and said, we want to give you money to go start up a business. just need to expect that the majority of those are, are going to fail, and they're not going to provide employment. Whereas in every community, there are businesses that have been up <laughs> and running already. Uh, they found a market. Uh, they found a way to uh, hire and train people to make them productive. And with a little bit of, uh, you know, blowing on the coals, you could, you know, fan this into a bigger flame. And uh, I, I think it's, um, and from experience, my experience is that it's, it's much more efficient and productive to help somebody who has a small business that has already gone through that initial startup phase. They've They've survived that. And then help them to have more impact in the community, uh, the way you see them uh, having impact already. 
So you're not just trying to help somebody follow a dream that they have, but this is somebody who currently is having impact in the community and they're open and seeking help to have more. So, so tell us a story about uh, someone who you've helped, you know, continue on their legacy in essence by helping to uh, continue and strengthen their bin up. Yeah. So there's, there's two uh, organizations currently that we're spending a lot of time with in Akron and, um, while we're aware of many more, it really is a pretty labor-intensive thing. So you, you can't take on a, a half dozen or dozen of these unless you have an amazing <laughs> that. But uh, and they're they're pretty different. One is um, a pretty small uh, entrepreneur-led business with um, you know part-time and seasonal workers, uh, and, it, and it's in a local food area but uh this and i'll call her a young lady she's my age <laughs> um and i have a grandkid um young lady who has <laughs> um for for 15 years just been very faithful in her field of, of local food uh, you know locally grown so she's been at this for 15 plus years before it was as trendy as it is now um she's uh, very outspoken about uh taking care of um in her words, she says, poor people, <laughs> you know, we like to use the code code word, uh, the least of these, but she says, I want to provide employment for poor people and I want to support her in that. So I've given her lots of you know, help and advice over the years, but we're actually now in uh, what I hope is uh, the final phases of um, working through details to actually bring her in as a unit of good place holdings so that we can support her with all of our business infrastructure and she can just spend her you know, mentoring and discipling, if you will, you know, the young people that she hires who come from difficult backgrounds and, and producing food that people love to eat. So she has, there's a market demand for her food that she can't fill because she just doesn't have the business infrastructure to support that. And she can't tear herself away from, making food in the kitchen and working with these kids that she hires to do all this, you know, what we call back office stuff. And to me, it would be such a waste of her time for her to figure out how to do accounting well, how to do invoicing well, how to, how to work insurance, how to find, you know, subcontractors. And uh, we have people who love doing that and they can't do what she does with the community youth and food. Uh, Glenn, would you like me to, Describe uh, one other one, or has that sort of taken the time you'd like? And you'd like you know to what? Ask? I think I think that someone uh, might ask you about the second one if they want to during the uh, Q and A and comment period. Sure. As we transition into that that comment period, I just might uh, want to let you know that uh, upcoming in our in our future calls, folks, we've got uh, on September 21st uh, again at the same time of 11 o'clock Eastern. Chuck Proudfit of uh, Cincinnati's At Work on Purpose, the largest uh, business network, networking, uh, citywide networking group in the country, will be talking about a whole area of work that he's gotten into called business trees. And then on October 19th, Jonathan Halperin, who's on the call with us today, uh, of Grayston Bakeries in Yonkers, will uh, discuss open hiring, which is a, a concept we learned about uh, through Jonathan at this uh, global conference on business as an agent of world benefit. 
And then uh, on November 16th, Pablo Guevara of Epic Pie in Cleveland, Ohio, will speak on the topic of purposeful investment, which is what Epic Pie is all about. So uh, we also are looking at October 20th and 21st to have a meeting uh, at Good Place Holdings in Akron, Ohio, a face-to-face meeting. For those of you who might be interested in coming out to that, we'll start with dinner around 6 o'clock on the first evening, um, and then uh, we'll have an all-day meeting the next day to talk all about businesses doing good uh, in in a way that people can get to know one another, learn some best practices, and perhaps grow their own business that's uh, helping to meet uh, a, uh, a social need or uh, address a, a critical social issue uh, through the work that they're doing at their company. So jot the dates down. I'll be Eventbrite invitation out uh, to everyone we've been sending them out to and uh, let folks know about this upcoming face-to-face meeting. So now we're going to open the phone line to uh, to your questions and comments. So who's got the first question? Hi, Glenn. This is Mike Zachary from Fresno. I've got uh, two questions for Scott. Hey, Mike. Go right ahead. Scott, the first question is, uh, and I'll give these both to you, and then you can answer them. What is your third pillar? What's the third pillar of your mission? Um, support ourselves to the work we do to give the opportunity, people the opportunity and encouragement to live up to their fullest potential. And I think there was a third one. And then my second question is, how do you address the lack of soft skills? Um, a couple of years ago in Fresno, we launched an effort to bring jobs to Fresno through the Regional Jobs Initiative. And what we found was we have quite a few jobs unfilled, a lot of jobs unfilled, but we we couldn't get enough of the workforce to show up to work. Just the, the normal soft skills of interacting with people, making sure they show up on time, that kind of stuff. How do you address some of that? Great. Thanks, Mike. Uh, good questions. And uh, if you see uh, my friend H. Spees around town, tell him I said hi. Oh, I sure will. H and I are good friends. We <laughs> work together at One by One Leadership Foundation. and at the church and a number of places, so I certainly will. He's a great guy. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, great. That'd be great, Mike. So our our third pillar, uh, you know, being economically regenerative, uh, helping people, you know, giving encouragement. And the third one is and building up good places in the communities where we work. And that relates to um, my – belief that whatever your work is, and for us, you know, we do energized uh, substation maintenance. <laughs> so, you know, how can that relate to community development? But if if the work that we do doesn't build up good places in our community, the money that we give and the hours that we volunteer can't make, can't build the kind of communities we want to have. So the work that we do that we earn our living with has to be work that builds up the communities that we live in. So that's the the third pillar in the sense of that. Uh, lack of soft skills, great question. Um, uh, maybe 10 years ago, we had a, um, an, an, an inkling of an idea to do what you'll hear Jonathan Halpern later talk about, uh, which he calls open hiring. And so, uh, Mike, I hope you can dial into that call because uh, Jonathan has lots of experience and great stories with that. So okay. we said, you know, we'll do that. There's a there's a community 
ministry in town who works with people who are, you know, on the margins and trying to get into the workforce or back into the workforce. <clears throat> and we had an entry level position. Uh, and we said, we will hire anybody that this, uh, you know, inner city ministry sends us for this entry level position. And, uh, the, you know, the first three people they sent us over the course of a, of a month and a half couldn't show up to work on time, missed whole days, never called to say that they weren't coming. And um, this was kind of my own personal initiative. I hadn't built, we hadn't built a culture around that. And so the department who kept getting these hires that I said, hey, let's do this. They came to me one afternoon and said, Scott, can we quit hiring people? From uh, from the, from this source because we got a job that we have to get done here, so um, you know that's very important. And th- there's there's two tracks: either uh, the org- the hiring organization, in this case it was SD Myers, needs to build itself up to deal with people who don't have those soft skills, so you know how to work with that, or you work with somebody who does that for you. So. The ministry, it happens to be called OpenM uh, in Akron, uh, in that intervening time frame has has started up this employment ministry component, which works on um, uh, job placement, job retention, and job advancement. So they stay in touch with people for five to seven years that they place into businesses. So we're just getting around to talking about what positions in the organization could we have as entry-level positions that they could send to us, um, but it's 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 not like it's not an easy task to work with people who can't be employed other places for a whole host of reasons, um, and saying, well, we're going to employ those people. You have to be intentional and prepare yourself for that, and and it's a lot of work. And again, uh, you got you got to hear Jonathan's talk to hear his experience, which is uh, in my experience. His experience is unique uh, in what people are doing. Great. Thank you, Scott. It's it's Jonathan Halpern. Can I jump in for a sec? Yes, Jonathan. Go right ahead. Yeah, no, really, I'm not not going to take up much time now. I'll be looking forward to talking with everybody in in a couple months. Um, But I do, do have a question, but also just wanted to reiterate what you said, Scott, which is that there's a system that needs to be put in place around efforts to bring folks into the workplace who have traditionally been excluded for a variety of reasons. Um, and it's really tricky to do that first hire without the system, but once you reach a critical mass and have a, a, a team and a sense of collaboration and camaraderie, it, there's a whole other set of things that kick in. Um, so we'll talk more about that uh, in, a, in a later call. But I, I was curious to get your, your sense, Scott, <clears throat> of as you put purpose really at the at the center while also running a successful commercial business what's been the the one or two hardest things to merge those together well that's a really good question <laughs> um you know it, it is interesting now that we have good place holdings and we have a couple Sort of, you know, from the ground up, uh, startups in good place holdings, um, and in the, the community groups that I've been working with, the small, the small businesses, um, it's easier 
to take a very small business or a startup and, and right from the outset say, uh, here's our purpose and this is why we do what we do and here's how we do what we do. And now that you sort of understand uh, you know, who this organization is and how we want to operate, we welcome your creativity to help us build the organization along those lines. Um, so that's easier than taking a 50-year-old business that has lots of entrenched practices and habits and um, uh, culture, you know, some of which is, has been instigated intentionally from leadership. And as anybody who's worked in a, you know, organization that's a, a few decades old knows, uh, there's the actual existing culture that's attention of, of the leadership. So um, we've always had a culture of um, if it's not if it's not right, don't do it. There's no amount of business that's worth lying or cheating, you know, to obtain. Um, you know, anytime we anytime we make a mistake, we'll do whatever it takes, you know, to make the customer happy. So that's a that's a pretty well established culture. But about a dozen years ago, we sort of did an overlay on that 40-year-old culture and said, we have, we have a new set of uh, aims for the business, and we want to have this where we build up people and where we make a positive impact in the community. And making a profit, the purpose for making a profit is so that we can do those other so, – so that we can accomplish those other two parts of our mission – so making money is not an end in itself. It's, it's instrumental to help us achieve those other two. And that's very simple to, to say that, but to have that be in people's hearts that that's why they're there and that's the purpose for the work that they do, um, that, that's a tough thing. That's a hard thing uh, because, you know, we, we, um, we have, you know, a little over 200 employees in SD Myers. And, you know, there's there's 200 different reasons why people hired in to work in this organization. And those reasons aren't all our three top line uh, things. So building that culture on a, you know, 40 plus year old business now, you know, 50 plus year old business, you know, that's been a challenge. And I have to admit, it it, it, it has taken longer than I anticipated it would. You know, Scott, I just might, this is Glenn again. I just might mention here, uh, I, I think that uh, it it really is, a, a, you know, it's a challenge and it, it's a journey, isn't it? Uh, as you're taking a family corporation and a place where you have uh, loyal employees uh, who've been there a long time, uh, it, it's quite a journey to move from uh, being a family-owned company that might occasionally share some of the profits with the employees uh to becoming a, a C corporation that has no owners, uh, that's quite a journey in it, in and of itself, isn't it? Well, it is, and you know we don't have uh, time here to even mention, let alone get into the time that we spent looking at ESOPs and B corporations and all different kinds of uh, different forms. And then also for the last eight years, we have been very intentional about building up uh, a board function, a governance function to take, because there's a level of leadership. If you don't have ownership, leadership that you have to identify where that's coming from. 
And so some components that are coming from a board. Um, but for the last, you know, five plus years, we've told people, this is our vision. This is where we're going. We're not there yet. But the, if you want to join us on the journey, you know, join us as a business. So the last five years of hires have a pretty clear vision of where we want to go. And then we just hope that they don't get discouraged by finding out, wow, the, the reality isn't quite everything that, you know, we want it to be. Hopefully that energizes them to, to press forward to take us towards that vision. Scott, do you, do you still offer um, financial incentives to employees uh, for their work? You know, um, not any place where I can find them. <laughs> um, and there's, there's a long story there. To, um, you know, it, it, it's almost commonplace now in business literature to say that, you know, beyond a certain level where people can meet their basic needs and, you know, support their family and their children, that money is not much of a motivator. And um, I just, I had a, you know, five to 10 year experience of just misery of trying to manage a commission system so that everybody's interest. And when you have that sort of financial incentive, you're incentivizing people to ring the bell and get the cheese versus um, working towards a common mission. And we we had, under my father, we had a, a pretty healthy um, profit sharing, but it was sort of tending down a track of why are we doing this? You know, it would, it would build a focus and unity in people, but it was focused in unity for what? Well, it was so that we can make money. And, you know, that did not necessarily result in customers always being treated uh, the way you want to, and uh, nor did it lead to the kind of community focus and attention that, that we really were looking for. Hey, Scott, this is Alan McMillan in Athens, Ohio. Um, I, I, how do you how do you approach succession planning? You know, it's, we have a family owned business here and my wife and I are, we think about legacy, but you know, our kids are going to go off and do what they want to do. And, and uh, like you, you, you form this corporation, you have a board, but how do you know a hundred years from now, that this organization is going to be on the track that you're uh, aspiring to be and dreaming about? Alan, good, good question. Thank you. And um, as I addressed our succession planning with our leadership team uh, and our board, um, that was a that was a, a common question. Was uh, you know 100 years from now, and you know people often bring up um, Harvard, which started out as a seminary and you know very much you know biblically based, and a lot of people see that as as being you know gone by the wayside a long time ago. And, and I, you know, I, the ultimate answer is there's nothing any of us can do to ensure that something will operate a certain way a hundred years from now. And so I haven't, I, I haven't felt um, that as some kind of imperative that I have to do something that I can make sure. And, and people would propose things, well, you know, you have to have a super majority to make this kind of change or this, you know, um, so, what my focus is is to do work that gives next generation the best chance of, of maintaining the kind of focus 
that we have. Um, and I think that's the best we can do. What's, how can we give that the best chance? Um, I've, <laughs> for 20 plus years, I've been kind of fascinated with the whole, um, uh, monastic, uh, you know, the Benedictine order. Uh, you know, there's, there's a text, the rule of St. Benedict that says how to run a monastery. And for 1500 plus years, there have been and still are successful Benedictine monasteries. So I thought, wow, here's somebody who is, who I think has been successful for 1500 years. So looking into their history, um, you know, every 100, 150 years or so, they have a, a reform <laughs> of the order because people feel like they got way off track. And so they need to go back to, you know, sort of the original intention of the founder and, and they reform themselves. So, you know, part of what I'm doing is, is trying to leave some written documents that identify the aims, not really the methods so much, because those will have to change based on environment and so on. But, you know, th this organization has this aim. Here's, and then you'll have the history of how that's been lived out uh, for people to see. But it's, um, it, it's a long-term effort. Uh, I've been working at this intentionally for a dozen years now, and I feel like we're we're underway at a good pace now. <clears throat> but you know, six years ago, uh, if you'd asked, I probably would have expressed some level of discouragement that we're not very far into it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and you know, if I got hit by a bus today, I think we would go forward pretty well, but I'd, I'd sure like to have another 10 years at it. <laughs> so any, any other questions on that, uh, Alan? So do you, do you, um, yeah. do you see, are you encouraging the family to take the, the helm going forward? Or, um, if none of the family did, are you prepared for that direction as well? Well, w one of the things that prompted me to go looking for another form of corporation was that there's no third generation of the family that has any expressed interest in it. Now, I, you know, I have to say that when I started working at the, at the business in 1982, I had no expressed interest. In fact, I had an expressed interest of getting out of the business as soon as I could. And, you know, so here I am 30 some years later uh, in the thick of it. So who knows what could develop out of that. Um, but I, it, it's really premised on they're not it, it not being a, just a, a su continuing succession of family members uh, running the business and our, our our president now who's been president for six seven eight years is a is the first non-family member to be a president so I, I'm CEO but Dale really runs the day-to-day -day operations I work more with the board and I work with Dale on incorporating, again, something we don't have time to talk about, but we call it the 10 areas of stewarding a good place organization, which is the culture of leadership that we want to establish and hand on to operate a business that doesn't, that has this, this structure that we have. So um, like for my brothers, they've said, well, what about, you know, our kids? What if our, our kids want to work there? I go, you know, I'm not looking to hand this over. I have kids too. I'm not, running the business so that my kids can run it. But 
I am, I feel that, that we collectively, the leadership team and the rest of the organization, that we're working to build a good place organization that anybody's kids would want to work at. My kids, my brother's kids, and we do have, and um, I take this as, um, I don't want to use the word compliment, but that's all I can think of right now. I, I, I see this as a compliment of the highest order, how many children of employees have come into the business. So, so think about it. If you worked at a place that you hated, would you try to get your kids to come work there? And we have, we have lots of, I don't have the exact count. I should get that, Chris. <laughs> we have lots of second and third generation um, family members working in the business. I'm I'm thrilled by that. But the leadership of the business should go to the people who um, best exhibit the the capacity for leadership, uh, regardless of of whose family they come from. So that's sort of my feeling right now. And the the businesses that do have family members in leadership for multiple generations. Uh, they have a very specific track to bring family members up to leadership, again, which is something you can't do at the last minute. That's got to be, you know, decades of that. So kind of a long answer. Well, but. Scott, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, if there's one more question, uh, Scott, you can give a, a brief answer, and then uh, sure. we're going to wrap things up. Is there one more question here today? This is Scott Barr in San Antonio. Quick question. Hi, Scott. Go ahead. So, Scott Myers, did you work with National Christian Foundation based in Atlanta or Waterstone based in Colorado Springs to help you come up with your legal structure, or did you use another source? Um, I don't know Waterstone. I like to find out who they are. Um, you know, I, I told NCF about what we were doing, and um, – Never got a lot of encouragement, <laughs> really. They had um, have had clients who uh, place the ownership of their business except for voting, like one or two shares of voting stock that they give to some group like our like a board, uh, in being owned by the 501c3 or five whatever the designation is that uh, uh, a community foundation or um, whatever NCF, I don't think they're a community foundation, but a foundation. Uh, so they give the majority of the ownership of their business to the foundation. And then under that premise, the purpose of the business is to make as much money as they can so you can give it away to charities. And I've just never tracked with that as a, as a purpose for the business. So I, I, I've spoken with them and they're aware of what we're doing but we're sort of on different tracks. Well, Scott, uh, thank you so much for sharing with us your experience and wisdom today. It's really been a, a, an enjoyable call for all of us on the call, I believe, today. And uh, as, uh, as we come to the close of the call, I want to remind all the callers today that on September 21st, Chuck Proudfit will be our guest from At Work on Purpose, and he'll be talking about business trees the call will take place at 11 o'clock a.m., and uh, we'll we'll put out an invitation, so you'll have a chance to sign up if you choose. I'd love to have you invite some of your friends to join you. I really see this as a growing movement. Business is doing good. And uh, remember, October 20th and 21st, we'll have a meeting at uh, Good Place Holdings at S.D. Myers' offices there. 
And uh, we'd love to have you there. We'll start with the dinner uh, the first evening on the 20th, and on the 21st we'll have a meeting from about 9 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. Thanks so much for being on the call today, especially I want to thank Scott Myers. And, Scott, I wonder, uh, would it be okay if we just take a moment at the end of the call to pray for uh, the work that you're doing with uh, Good Place Holdings? Yeah, that would be fantastic. Thank you. God, we thank you and praise you for what we've learned today about Good Place Holdings, and we pray your blessing upon them as they pursue this C Corporation and uh, and pursue the three aims that they've put out of being economically regenerative, um, helping people attain their full potential, and building up good places in the communities where they work. God, I thank you and praise you for uh, this time that we've had together to learn and to grow and uh, we look forward to uh, other times that we can have together as well, even by telephone or by uh, some other means of meeting together. But uh, most of all, we, we thank you, God, for uh, the uh, wisdom and example that's been shared with us today by uh, Scott Myers. Lord, bless each one as we go into our day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.